My name is Blair. I'm glad you're here today. Last week we started a series called The Speed of Life. And uh, we're talking about how our culture um, distracts our attention, fractures it, and puts us in a place where it's not good for our relationship with God. It's not good for our relationship with each other. And over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what we can do about it. And there are actual some things that we can practice that will help this. The one we're going to talk about today is simple. You're not going to have to go out and buy anything. You're not going to have to, I don't even think it's going to be a real sacrifice in your life to find a way to do this. Uh, I've been trying to integrate this for about four or five months now. And I made that choice because in 2021, I made, I made some decisions that stacked a bunch of things in my life that ramped up the pace of my life. And I thought, hey, I can do this. I probably could have done it if it was one thing, but I did it with multiple things all at the same time, thinking it would be no big deal. And it turned out to be a big deal because it actually started to impact the relationship with my wife. And I know that because she told me it was, right? I was like, okay, this is a, this is a problem. And what it, what it dawned on me is when she said that is it probably was also true about God. Because my wife will speak up when things aren't going well and she'll tell me what's going on. And I'll be able to hear that. She'll interrupt my life. But for God, I actually have to make space for that kind of interruption. And if I hadn't made space for it, I probably wasn't hearing that there was a tension or problem there. And so for months now, I've been working through this thing where I, I knew that I had made some tough choices with my schedule. And I was trying to find a way to not be as fractured. And so I started practicing what I'm going to talk to you about today. And I can tell you it's simple. It's just not easy. It's not easy because it goes against the way that we structure our own lives. It did against mine. It's not easy because it's not the way our culture thinks and reacts and responds to situations. We just don't come at life this way. Now, I, I feel a little bad because I, over the next few weeks, I'm just going to dump a whole bunch of stuff on you, ask you to process, and hopefully that you can come to the other side of that and get somewhere good. I've had months to do this. And I've um, started thinking that maybe it would be helpful if you had some resources that would help you process as well. Because I, I needed, not only did I do these things. I had conversations about this with different people. So let me just give you a list of things that I think that you could introduce for yourselves that might help. Okay. Um, part of this started for me when I watched a documentary on Netflix called The Social Dilemma. Many, many of you talked to me about it after the first week on Sunday. Um, if, if you don't have Netflix, go find a friend who does and sit down and watch it. It's going to introduce to you all of the stuff that... Um, these tech companies are willing to do in order to grab your attention so they can sell it for profit. And they kind of lay it out in detail. It's going to get political at the end. Ignore all of that. Pay real close attention to what's going on and why. Because you can't set up boundaries for your life unless you understand what you're trying to protect yourself from. So you could start there. Maybe that would be really helpful. Maybe some of you are like, no, nah, I'm not going to go watch that. I'm a podcast person. Well, if you want to listen to a podcast... Um, we're in the process of all of these discussions and Austin sent me a podcast from Kerry Newoff and uh, he was interviewing a guy named John Mark Comer and this guy, the reason it caught my attention is John Mark is a pastor and he was talking about all of this stuff 
that I could see the value in. And all I was left with was how? How in the world do you do that? How do you, as a pastor, actually find a way to do these things in your life? And we actually had staff discussions. I brought it to the staff and said, look, I know they're right. I know he's right. I heard this discussion. I don't know how I'm supposed to make this fly. And we had these. So again, I had time to process. I had time to walk through some of this stuff. Um, In this podcast, he mentions three or four, I don't know how many books, I bought them all, and um, I've been reading them. So I'm through some of them. Uh, one I'm going to just put up there, if, if it's worth, if you like to read, I know a lot of people don't anymore. I think it's a really great way to process. You can process as you read, you can have conversations with people. It's, it's a great way for you to digest stuff. It's one of the ways I connect with God, that's why I read. So um, So the book called um, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry is worth your read. And it will challenge you with all the stuff that we're about to do. We're going to do it in a short period of time. But you could digest it slower if you needed to do that sort of thing. So all of those are resources out there that I hope you'll take advantage of. I read a lot of articles. I'm not going to put any of those up. And of course, um, last but not least, I spent time in the scriptures And it gave me a great sense of peace to know that the things that we're facing in our culture right now have been around for a long period of time. Yes, our culture's new. It's different. But at the core, some of the problems are the same. And the solutions are ancient. These have been around a long time. So if we're willing to pay attention to these ancient practices, and if we could understand that even Jesus himself practice these things, integrated those into his life, it might be worth our time and effort to do the same. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm hoping for you to see. See, I could read and see that Jesus was doing these things. I could see that there was value in what he was doing. And I think sometimes, here's um, what happens, is most of you would accept this statement as true. Uh, we're required to be different than the culture that we live in. The problem is most people, when they hear a statement like that, go to the moral side and think we have to be morally different than the culture we live in, which is true. But I think it's just as true that what our culture treats as normal, we wouldn't treat as normal because we're followers of Jesus. And right now, there is a culture of normalness to the pace of life, to the distractions that we lived with, that I think Jesus is going to set out a different standard for. And it's going to be kind of surprising that he does this. So let let me just give you like a tad bit from his life. If anybody had a busier life than you, it's Jesus. He had crowds clawing at his time for his attention, for his power to heal, from sun up to sundown, there, it's recorded in the scriptures that the crowd actually followed him around the lake, the Galilee Sea one time. They, they could see where he was going, so they just trucked it. And they got to the other side and met him while he got there. He was in constant pressure. And if, and if there was a reason for him to be in pressure, it was his purpose for being there. 
If you've ever had a purpose that you live for, that you're like, man, I have a burning passion for this, Jesus, like, he, he came because we had a problem with death. Death was separating us from each other, was separating us from God. And he was the solution to that. And it was his role to come and tell people, I am salvation. I am the way for you to deal with this. There's no greater message. There's no greater purpose that you could have. So he's got all of the reason to do this. Intense amount of pressure. Sense of busyness galore. And yet, he makes what seem like illogical choices along the path. For instance, let me just give you this one. This is in um, Luke chapter 2, verse 47. Jesus is 12 years old. He's in the temple. Um, they, the parents seek him out. They forgot him. They kind of come back and find him. And it says, everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. He's ready to go at age 12. Like, and he can hold it with the best of them. They're surprised at what he knows and understands. Why didn't his ministry just start then? He could have had 21 years. He could have had 21 years of ministry where maybe the pace could have been a little slower. Or maybe more people would have known and heard. Why did he wait till age 30? The only reason, there's only one. The culture that he grew up in believed that you should not listen to people who would teach from the Torah until they turned age 30. They did not have enough of an education. They were not learned enough for them to be listened to. And so Jesus, who could have pushed against that cultural norm and blown everybody away, lets it go. He says, okay, I'll wait. Waits 18 more years to start his ministry. And now it's even more compressed. He's there with an urgent message. He's busy. And now the time frame is short. And despite all of those things, despite the urgency, you are going to find from the beginning of his ministry to the end of this ministry, this pattern in Jesus' life. This is Mark chapter 1, verses 35, early in his ministry. Uh, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. He went to a solitary place, which means nobody is around. Listen, you're trying to build a movement. You need energy. You need people to carry the message. You, you need activity. And he is going to a solitary place. In fact, if you read this section of scripture, what you're going to find is that he started healing people. And when he healed them, he told them, don't say anything. Don't say anything. Why? Because it's going to cause a circus. And people who were healed couldn't help it. They were excited. They told people exactly what he said would happen, happened. And this is what Jesus got forced into. This is in the same chapter Verse 45, in the middle, he says, As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, 
but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet this people still came to him from everywhere. That little phrase, lonely places, the solitary place, you're going to see it over and over again. Look, Jesus could have gone into the city where it was a circus. It would have been mad. It would have been crazy. Word would have spread. And he chose a quiet place. People still came to him there, but his choice was to go into the middle of nowhere. And you're going to see it over and over and over again. Mark 6, Jesus has a crowd. He's with his disciples. It's been busy. How busy? Well, you're going to see so busy that in verse 31 it says this. Then becoming so many people, then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. That's how busy they were. Have you ever, have you ever been at work and you were so busy you couldn't eat? Were you happy about it? Did you think, that's okay, I'm serving a greater vision, my not eating makes sense. Or you're like, oh, I can't stand that. But I'm going to get it done, I'm going to get my job done, because that's what I have to do. But don't deprive me of food. Now if anybody, if anybody had a reason to look at his followers and say, listen, you're just giving up a meal, but it's for the greater good of God's kingdom, no big deal, let's go, let's just keep working hard would have been Jesus. Except that's not what he says. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. You would think that you would strike while the iron is hot. You've got groups of people coming. They actually want to know what you have to say. There are so many people coming and going that your attention is everywhere, but this is, there's some energy in this. It's happening. Instead of riding that wave, Jesus says, I want to withdraw to a quiet place where we can rest. Does this seem logical? Does this seem like the right choice to make? Same chapter, different crowd, happens um, in verse 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into a boat and go ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. Another crowd of people there and Jesus is disconnecting from it, except he's crowd control. I mean, you would think the disciples would be doing that, but he gets them on a boat and he gets them out of there. Why does he do this? Because he has a plan, which gets highlighted in verse 46. After leaving them, he went up on a hillside or a mountainside to pray. It was his goal to disconnect from the crowd so that he could step into a place where he could go, where it was quiet, and he could be alone. You're going to see this even at the end of his ministry. Uh, Jesus had the Last Supper. Mark 14, 26 records this. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mountain of Olives. If you read the same record from Luke, Luke will say he went out to his usual place. Jesus did this so often, he had a usual place. 
This was a pattern they had seen, and so they could just calmly talk about it, that this is something that he does on a regular basis. And what does he do? Well, we find in verse 32 that he asked the disciples to pray. He goes away from them, alone and quiet, and he prays. Now, this is the quickest gospel. It's the shortest one. Mark's brief says things quickly and moves on. And even in his brief gospel, we have example after example of Jesus saying, you know what? I'm going to separate from all this activity, all this stuff that could distract me, and I'm going to go and I'm going to rest. I'm going to go and I'm going to pray. I'm going to separate myself from all the distractions, all the busyness, all the stuff that was going on, which is odd because Jesus was trying to get out a message and it was going to take a crowd of people. It was going to take a bunch of people who believed and then spread that message. But he knew there was a wiser way to do this. And so he was making a choice. He was making a choice about how busy and distracted he would be. Uh, band, if you have a chance to come up here, that would be great. And the question is, why was he making that choice? Jesus, to, Jesus chose solitude. He went to a place where he would be alone. Jesus chose quiet, silence. A place where there would be no distractions. I find it interesting that he was there at the beginning when mankind was created. If anybody has an understanding of the owner's manual for that body that he now wrapped himself in, it's Jesus. And he thought it would be wise for him to find moments where he was alone and in silence. And so he moved into that space on a regular basis, beginning of his ministry to the end. Silence and solitude are not easily embraced by our culture. They're, they're not seen as uh, good things. And although it is a simple thing to do, I think you'll wrestle with how easy it is or how difficult it actually is to in integrate into your life because it's so out of sync with us. And I, I'd like to try to just make that case just for a little bit that I think we as a culture don't have very healthy understandings of silence. And we're going to start by letting you hear a song that our culture, um, ha it's entitled Silence. That was 30 seconds.
don't raise your hand, but how many of you were starting to get uncomfortable? How many of you would label it as, that was highly awkward? I think he's lost his place. Somebody help him. Um, we don't have a level of comfort with silence in our culture. Did you hear how that song just described it? He said he had found peace in their violence, right? So they had a tumultuous relationship, but they had found a way to find peace in it. And then he realized, I've been quiet for too long. I need to speak out. And what's he doing? He's sitting in his silence, marinating in all of this junk. It wasn't, it wasn't treated like a helpful or hopeful thing. Just, I, I know I need to do better. I'm, I'm just here in the silence dealing with all of this. The way we talk about solitude and silence in our culture, it's a punishment. Hey, kid, time out. Want the worst thing to ever happen to you? Go by yourself in a corner for five minutes with nothing to do. In prisons, if you want to punish somebody even more, you put them in solitary confinement where they have to be by themselves in silence. We, we don't have a healthy understanding of this. I was, I was laughing after first service. Uh, two Goshen police officers came up to me and they said, Blair, you're letting out information. Said, silence is, what, how did they say it? Silence is a advanced, um, what is the, uh, when you're, oh, I got it, I got it. Advanced inter interrogation tactic. <laughs> I was like, what? He said, people hate silence. They can't stand it. So we go and we sit in the room right across from them face to face. We get confessions all the time from people because they'll do anything to get out of a space where there's quiet. They can't stand it. I think part of the reason we struggle with silence and solitude, both of those together, is that I think Jesus had different goals that he was trying to accomplish when he integrated them into his life. It wasn't a punishment. It was something that he sought. Why? Well, the scriptures reveal that he prayed. We know that. He rested. The scriptures reveal at one time he actually faced down temptation in a place like that. So, um, and on occasions, he actually took other people and, and they rested together. Maybe they even had conversations. We know at one point, they did this thing on a mountaintop with a few of them where they saw something really special together. And so you, you have these, in, like, this desire to go and do something of value with that time. And unfortunately, most of us, when we think of silence and solitude, we think of wasted time. It's not wasted. It's being used differently. And right now, there is a need. There is a need for you and I to consider putting silence and solitude in our lives. And then the reason is clear. Our culture has decided that that stuff is not worth your time and energy. In fact, if I can keep you distracted as much as possible, I can make money off you. It's profitable 
to keep you distracted. It's profitable to make sure that you have a partial, continuous attention. But God does not do well with partial attention. He wants our focus. So I would just ask you to consider, listen, if you would look at the life of Jesus, I think that would be enough of a reason for you to go, maybe I should consider practicing. If he understands what humanity is all about, created, and he's practicing this himself, maybe I should do it too. That's enough. That's, that was good for me. But I've been around long enough to have heard this several times from people, Blair, we live in a different time. It's true, we do live in a different time. Things are different, but some things haven't changed. But because I was ready for you, I wanna show you this. There have actually been modern day studies done putting people in solid, solitude and silence and seeing if there were any benefits from it. Let me show you the list. I'm gonna read it off because I didn't wanna memorize it. Um, you'll have lower blood pressure. You'll improve your concentration and focus. It helps in calming racing thoughts. It stimulates brain growth. It reduces cortisol, which is attached to stress in your life. It stimulates creativity. It improves insomnia. It encourages mindfulness. And I know you can read all of that, but I wanted to emphasize it. Because if I were looking for something that could do all of that, I might pay attention and right now we're in need of that kind of stuff because we carry these devices that call for our attention all the time and keep us fractured and distracted. And God wants more from you. He wants more from me. So let me, um, let me offer you some practical things. I hope you're considering, is this possible for me to find a way to introduce silence and solitude into my life? I think it is. Let me give you a few ideas that I think will help that I've used along the way. One, start small. Create incremental gains with this over time. Don't go out and say, okay, obviously I need to do this. I'm going to go away for an hour and a half and go into silence. You will not know what to do with your time. You will it will not go well. Start with five minutes. Five minutes somewhere where you can get away from everybody else where it's quiet and rest. Talk with God. Do something with that five minutes. Um, maybe you could turn off the radio in your car. For years now, on Sunday mornings when I drive into church and I'm getting ready, I'm getting ready to talk, I do not play the radio. I don't like any outside interferences because if God has something to say to me that could shape what might happen this morning, I want to be attentive to it. And so I've realized that I've done that for a long time, but most other times I leave the radio on and I've started realizing there are some good moments for me to just reach over and just have silence while I'm driving. It's an easy place for you to do that. One of the places that I've discovered um, that I really enjoy this, I get it maybe once or twice a week right now, is I eat breakfast in silence. So I'll, um, on the days where I'm not working, I get up, I'll make a breakfast. Uh, my phone won't be near me. There's no music. There's, no any, there's nothing. It's just me sitting at the table quietly eating. And I, it's weird but I actually look forward to it every week right now. It's something that I enjoy doing with God. Uh, I've discovered that it's wise to change up what you're doing with your silence. 
There are times where I'm just quiet. I just rest. I'm breathing. That's it. Um, other times, I'm, I'm having conversations with God about life, about stuff. Uh, other times, I'll watch creation, and I'll marvel at the goodness of God. So there, there are just different things. Uh, change it up. Uh, um, for some of you, what that means is that you already have a quiet time. But for many of you, it's very structured. What you do in it, which is good. I like that. So add something different. Add something different because most of your quiet time, you're active and busy doing things. You're reading, you're studying, you're doing all of that stuff. That's good. Find something that's quiet where it's just you and God and God has a chance to speak into your life if he so desires. Uh, you could start by reducing the background noise at your home if you wanted to. Don't, again, don't raise your hands, but I bet you, how many of you would say, I turn on the radio or I turn on the TV whenever I'm in a space because I, I like the extra noise that fills in the room. Well, start finding chunks of time where you can just eliminate it. Just get rid of that so you have some built-in silence that you can do. You don't have to do it the whole time. Just find a way to give you a little bit and it'll work just fine. Uh, some of you are going to hate this one and I already know you're not going to do it. It's okay, I have a different suggestion for you. But some of you can do this. You can wake up 10 minutes early. Now, the other half of you who are like, drop dead. Um, go to bed 10 minutes early. How's that? Right? I'm ready for you. I got it. Like, I get it. Um, what I've found is that sometimes I can set my alarm early and it goes off. I'm awake. I'm a morning person. And I just lay there. Nobody else is up. Um, I didn't wake Tracy up. It's quiet, it's silent, and I have conversations with God. And it's a really great place for something like that to happen, especially if you've gone to bed and nobody's going to bother you. You have some time just to process and talk with God. Why, why do all of this? Because at some point, we have to fight against the perpetual distraction that our culture has embraced. That many of us, it defines who we are right now. We are distracted constantly from the moment that we wake up until the moment that we go to bed. And we, our, our heads hit the pillow and we're out. And part of the problem in that distraction is that God doesn't get any of your attention. So here's what I'd like you to consider doing. Um, I want to give you a challenge, but before I do, I need, to, I need to address this real fast. There are some of you who wrestle with depression, who wrestle with suicidal thoughts or anxiety. And your idea of solitude and silence is where you sit somewhere and you're tortured by your thoughts that tell you, that you're not successful enough, that you haven't made it, that you're not enough. And so the thought of doing that is uh, something that you're like, man, I don't know that I want to embrace that. Can I, can I just say something to you? That is not silence. The silence that you're after quiets those voices and allows God's voice to be heard. And those voices are not kind, they're not from God. And your, your habit 
is going to have to be found in how you find a way to silence those voices. Maybe you find a phrase that you repeat about God's goodness and you say it over and over until you drown out the voices so that you can sit in silence without being indicted. What I'm not saying for you is that it's okay for you to kind of go into your room and into your own space for hours or days at a time away from other people because I talked about silence and solitude. There are boundaries for it. And if you're doing it in a way that's harmful to you, that's not what I'm talking about. This is a strategy for allowing your focus and attention to return to God. For you to be healthy, to fight against the perpetual distraction of our culture. So be mindful, be mindful of how you're choosing to use it. But I'm going to offer this challenge. I'd like for you to consider finding five minutes of silence and solitude a day for the next week. I don't know where, I don't know how you'll do that. But I hope you'll look at, I hope you'll look at this and go, listen, if Jesus did this, if he used it as an as a antidote to fight all the distraction and time and like frustration of pace of life that he had, maybe I could use that too. And if you're up for it, I hope you'll make a decision that I'm going to do this and then I want you to tell a friend. Tell somebody else. Tell somebody in your small group. Tell a family member. Tell somebody who can check on you and ask, how's it going? What are you choosing to do? Did you do it today? Not so that they can be unkind to you, but so that they can help you do something that you really want to try. It's just five minutes. It's, it's five minutes of your time. I know it's going to be hard because I've, I'm doing it and it's hard. But it's simple. Look through your life. Find a sliver that you can give away to just some quiet time with God and then tell somebody this is what I'm going to do. You up for it? I hope you are. I'm going to pray for you. Jesus, so grateful that you modeled this for us. It's just not a neat idea. You saw it as vital. A few days left with your life on earth and you were in a solitude, place of solitude, praying, engaging with God. Uh, God, for us to do this, we're going to have to change the way we understand it. Too often we have looked at silence and solitude as a punishment, as a waste. I ask you to help rewire our thinking on this so that we see the value in us giving time back to you where we're resting, where we're renewing, and we're letting you speak. God, we're in need of a different kind of life than what our culture's offering. I ask you would give us the courage to try it, to just experiment and see what it is that you thought was so valuable that you would use your time this way. God, uh, give people the courage to follow through. We ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen.